Well, guys, we've got a lot of scripture to cover here today, so I, I hope you're hungry. I hope you got something to, to ready to write with, something to write on. If not, I hope your camera, your phone's ready. You can take a lot of pictures for notes, right? It's good for that. We've got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover here. As we talk about the, for the fall Moedim, all the Moedim in, in, in general, there's a lot to be said, and there's a lot we can continue to learn from them. Yahweh speaks to us daily, and it's in his word that he reveals his heart to us. He has given us times and seasons that he has set for things to happen. And he's invited us to be a part of these times and seasons. There are things that he wants to reveal to us in set times. And like we said before, you know, earlier today, there are some things you may not understand, some things you may not get, some things you might not comprehend until you actually go through and do some things. Regardless, a lot of the Moedim are called rehearsals. What is a, what is a rehearsal? You're getting ready for something, right? You may not get it perfect. When has a rehearsal ever gone perfect for anything? Yeah, I don't hear anything. That's because it doesn't, right? So a rehearsal, it's not about how perfect you can get it. It's about the heart and equipping to go through, okay? So we're, we're setting out to honor the Father, and we're learning his language. We're learning how he speaks to us. We're learning what he desires for us, and he is equipping us for what he is calling us to, okay? When we talk about Yom Teruah, we know that um, it, it, we're, we're looking for a, a, a sound, okay? And, it's, and it's sometimes they say it's about blowing the shofar, but then others will say it's about hearing the shofar, and which would be correct? Both. Good rabbi answer, right? <laughs> yes, both. And, and it's, it's relating to us in our lives what we're looking for. They're prophetic. They all point to Yeshua in some way, shape, or form. In some aspect, we're looking at our Messiah, you know, the, the Moedim in the spring, we're talking about Passover, right? What does Passover represent? Redemption, being redeemed, right? And then uh, the matzah, living a sinless life, learning what that is to get the leaven out, get rid of these things. First fruit, he is our first fruit that was accepted to the Father for us. If the first is holy, then the rest is holy. If, he's, if he is received, then we are received, and we know he was received, right? So therefore, if he was holy, then you are holy. And then we go into the time of, of counting and time of preparation, getting ready for, for Shavuot. You know, what's Shavuot? An equipping of the Father with His presence and His Ruach and His Word. Showing us His heart, showing us His ways, equipping us to go forward into what He has called us to. And then we have this time right after, right after Shavuot and right before the fall. See, what's that called? Yeah, summer. What's the summer known for? It's hot. What are, how do people normally get when it gets really hot? Oh, yeah. Man, you just want to, like, find some shade and take a nap, right? You know, when, when the time when the spies were sent out, it was in the season of the first ripe grapes, which would have been, like, June, July, right in that time frame, you know, right in that summer time frame, the testing of the summer. You realize that the time of the summer, the time in between the, the spring and the fall of Moedim, is this time of learning to walk in what you've been given? You've been given the word. You've been given this. He's revealed his heart to you. He's revealed his spirit to you. He's revealed his, everything that you, that you need to equip you for this life. You have. Now walk in it until the time comes for the... Yom Teruah is a, is a pronouncement of judgment. Get ready. The king is coming. The, the shofar is sounding. The king is coming. He's, he's coming back. Are you ready to meet with him? Get ready. Yom Kippur, time of atonement, when he looks to you, what is he looking for? Have you been atoned for? Have you walked in that? Have you received that? Have you learned what he's wanting to do for you? 
And in the time of, of, of Sukkot, Sukkot is a time of dwelling with him. Because, see, you have the pronouncement, the king is coming, he's going to judge, then, then if those who are atoned will go to dwell with him and be with him forever. That eighth day represents a new beginning of eternity. And so you're coming in to meet with him. That's why uh, Sukkot is also referenced as like the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Sukkot. We'll talk more about that when we get there. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about Yom Teruah. Many have related Yom Teruah with Matthew 25 when it talks about uh, the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, right? And they go, if you haven't read the story, write it down, Matthew 25, go back and read the story. I'm not going to cover it in that much detail. But they all go out and they all get ready. And then, yeah, you know, time kind of drags on a little bit. It's kind of in the night, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, let's just take a nap, right? And then the pronouncement comes out, the sound, the yell, the cry goes forward and says, the bridegroom is coming, get ready, go out to meet him. And then what happens? So five get up, they get the, they get, they get the fire, they get the oil, they trim everything, they get ready, and they've got their lamps, and they go, and then the five don't have that. And we always kind of talk about, well, see, the five had it, the five, the five, the wise did had it, and the five unwise didn't have it. But you know that, I don't think that's the point, really. Well, one of them, they were all asleep. And see, that's that time when you're waiting. Are we doing what he has called us? Are we waiting attentively? Are we dwelling with him? Are we being patient with what he is doing in our midst, you know? Are we working with him? Are we laboring with him in what he wants to do in our lives and the lives of those around us? Or are we just like, man, this is it. I've had enough. I'm going to sleep. Get ready. Because when that, when that sounds, get ready, the sound is going, to, it's going to come out. It's going to sound and it's going to be loud. The bridegroom is coming. Get out to meet him. Are we going to be the ones that have the fire and the oil? See, that's that preparation. Now, that's not all I have for you in this. Okay, I've got a, I've got a lot of scripture here that I haven't even started yet. <laughs> so I hope you are. First off, let's talk about the sounds. Yom Teruah. Teruah is not a shofar. Teruah is the sound that a shofar would make. It is one of the traditional sounds that are given for the shof- for the shofar. The word teruah is from the word ruah, which means not ruach. It's a different word. Ruah means to split the ears with sound. How how loud do you? Think? It ain't quiet. This is a day that is loud. I, 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 I give you this. This is a day all will hear. <laughs> you know, like when, when the children of Israel were at Sinai and Yahweh stepped down on the mountain, it says that the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder and louder and louder, and it shook. And, and, and see, the world heard that shofar. There's a day coming when the world will hear the shofar again. A day set for the Father. So what are the traditional sounds? Let's just kind of cover the basics of it. There are four main sounds that a shofar would make. First is takia, which is a blast. It's one long blast with a clear tone, and it's, it's supposed to signify like rejoicing and hope. And there's shevarim, which is a broken sound of three short calls, like sighing. It's a reminder we need to be broken before a coming king who will judge the earth. Think about you know, the sighing or crying, right? Just that when you're there, just, just like a staccato kind of a thing. Then teruah, which is an alarm. It's a rapid series of nine or more staccato notes, like crying. It's a reminder to plead for mercy before the king who has come to judge the living and the dead. And then the takiyah gedolah. Takiyah gedolah is a single unbroken blast held as long as possible. That's why when you, when you have our, 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 our men up here, when they're blowing the shofar and they do that last call and you see their face turns red. <laughs> Just don't pass out. <laughs> That's the takia gedolah, okay? That's that one long, unbroken blast. It's held. It is a reminder of the sound of the last great trumpet sound. 
and the king will come back with power. And reminder of this is what we even pray for this. You know, every Shabbat we pray, sound the great shofar for our freedom, raise the ensign, to gather the exiles. The sound of the shofar is supposed to gather the people in. At Sinai, the sound of the shofar was given to wake the people up, to tell them to get ready and prepare. Your king is coming to meet with you. Prepare yourselves. They even said, I'm going to give you three days to do it. And they're like, we're ready. And then Yahweh stepped down. They're like, we're not ready. But see, the king is telling us now, get ready, prepare. And he's going to sound the alarm. He's going to sound the shofar. Scripture says there's a day coming when the Lord himself will blow the shofar. All will. So let's get into a couple of things. We, we, a few, few thoughts we're going to explore today. One, uh, for Yom Teruah, the main thought, of course, being Yeshua and the connection to Yom Teruah. Because everything it points to and is about him, Right. And there's a connection to the shofars, the shouts, the day of remembering, and the day of judgment, all of this together. Traditional themes for Yom Teruah, uh, one, Israel will be gathered. Okay? When the shofar sounds, it will gather all his people. A coronation day of the king of kings. You ever wonder why you see, I mean, like you know, through history or like you watch the old movies and the king is coming and they blow the trumpets. You ever wonder why? You know, that is a biblical principle that, that the trumpets sound when the king is coming. How about Resurrection Day? A day of dividing the people in preparation for Yom Kippur. How about a day to remember the fathers? A day to remember those who went before us. A day to remember those who helped make a way for us. A day to blow the shofar. And the many related as well as a, as a day that the world was... These are many traditional themes of Yom Teruah. Of course, the Messianic hope, resurrection, and the immortality of the soul are all intertwined with the message of the shofar. Things to so what do we start with? Let's start with this. Let's start with the what and the how. How many scriptures do we find direct relation to Yom Teruah? The answer is two. Seems, sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Two. So how do we really know so much about the day? Because, see, directly there's two things we have, but this theme runs all through the screen. So what are some things we're looking at? Let's look at the two scriptures here first off. Numbers 29.1. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And it is a day for you to what? Blow the trumpet. So there's a couple of things we're told in how to observe here. A holy convocation is what? It's a public gathering. So it's a time for gathering. Uh, do not do any ordinary work. So it's a time to cease from your creating, to cease from your working, and a time to blow a trumpet. But if I can't blow a trumpet, it's kind of like that make a joyful noise kind of thing. <laughs> you know, many of us can't sing, but we do it anyway, don't we? You know, make a joyful noise. Just, just let that trumpet sound. But, and if you're not comfortable doing that, then understand that, uh, you know, sometimes there were people that were called trumpets. So let your voice rock. How about you? I don't know if I can get that loud. But we can give it a shot. So what's the other scripture? Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25. says, Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. A memorial, now here's another word we have, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. Shall not do any ordinary work and shall present a food offering unto the Lord. So we know a couple of things here. First off, when, it's, when Scripture says a memorial, the word used for memorial most often is the word zakar, zakar, which doesn't mean, oh yeah, I forgot, now I remembered something. It means to act on behalf of something. We do something so that it is remembered. Right, so how do we make a memorial of this day? We blow the shofar. Just like many things in Hebrew, it's very verb-oriented. It's not, it's not just what something looks like. It's the action involved in it. What does it do? What is its purpose? So that's what we're looking at here. What are we to do? 
Day of Solemn Rest, Memorial Proclaim with a Blast of Trumpets, it's Gathering, Holy Convocation, Present the Offering to Yahweh, Don't Do Any Ordinary Work. Understand, all the Moadim, there was an increase of offerings that were given in the temple and the tabernacle as well. In addition to the Tamid offerings that were given in the morning and in the evening, there were other offerings for all the Moadim that were, were increased in there. You know, It's kind of like this, Israel... Take the day, don't do the work, do that, and the gathering and bring the offerings and have this exciting time. You Levites, you're working twice as hard. <laughs> it's the way it was, though, wasn't it? Because it's all in honor and in service of the king. The people were set apart to equip. That's what we're to do as well. See, Yahweh calls you out and sets you apart and equips you so that you can be a light to the nation, so that you can be to those around you someone to look at and glorify your Father which is in heaven, right? That's what Scripture tells us to do, that when people look at you, they glorify your Father. It's not about us. It's about Him. And so it, the things that we do need to reflect Him in that, okay? So more about this. A memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets. As a day of remembrance, it is a memorial of shofars. Zichron Teruah. Zichron Teruah. Now, it's not just really a memorial of shofars it's as it is a memorial of the sound the shofar makes. That's Teruah. So this. What would a shofar or a ram's horn cause us to remember? If, if, if I didn't bring it. I was going to bring it. I forgot it. But if I, if I hold up a ram's horn, I'm like, what does this remind you of? You might say, uh, a ram. <laughs> You'd be right. But that's not what we're getting at. What does it make you think of in the scripture if I hold up a ram's horn? See, and th this is the thing I want to get at. This, maybe, this, maybe this is one area that the Father is wanting us to. He wants us to remember the sound of the ram's horn. He wants us to remember his covenant. How do you make that? Con I'm going to go back to Abraham. Many say there is a tradition. You guys know how I am when I talk about traditions and the different things in there. I do not consider many of the traditional things scripture. However, it does tell us what people thought about the times, the seasons, and throughout history, how they related and understood these things, okay? Kind of like today, if you go to any bookstore and you pick up a book, it ain't scripture. It's a book. It's someone's thoughts and commentary. I feel the same way with many other commentaries, these other things. I consider scripture, scripture. That's, but regardless, traditional thought of the shofar is that when Avraham brought Yitzhak to the mountain and who was prepared to sacrifice him. And the ram was caught in the in the thorn in the thickets and caught in the thorn bush. It is a traditional thought that he gave that 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 the one the one ram horn was given to Avraham and the other ram horn was given that Avraham blew that ram's horn, that shofar they coming, but again signaling idea of covenant. That's what we're it's about what Yahweh has declared. And when we think about covenant, we think about Abraham and how Abraham entered covenant. He says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, which that word blessed, v'nivahu, can also mean grafted in. So how we can go back to Galatians 3 and also see that uh, Yeshua says that he did what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection, so that the blessing that God gave to Abraham could come to the Gentile. So we're talking about covenant, we're talking about relations, about honoring. So let's go back and look at it. Ram's horn, the binding of Itzhak, and shadows of Yeshua. I'm going to go through a lot of these here pretty quick, but before we get to this, it helps set us up. One is a dedication of ourselves to the sanctification of... That's what we need to pay attention to. It is a dedicating of ourselves to honor him. See, when we fully surrender ourselves to him, we know that it's not about us, it's about him. Laying our life, right? Again, there is a thought that says this. Why is a ram's horn blown? The Holy One, blessed be he, said, Blow the ram's horn in order that I will remember the binding of Yitzhak, the son of Avraham, and so that I will consider it as if you yourselves had bound yourselves to me. 
issues of covenant is the point in what we're looking at. Where do we see this? Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2 says, After these things God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Hineni, here I am. He said, Take your son, pay attention to this phrasing, your only son. Didn't he have another boy? He did. So why would he say this? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Yitzhak, and go to the land of Moriah. There you are to offer him as the burnt offering on the mountain that I point out to you. So a couple things to point out here. First off, I want to point this out. Understand that the word love in the scripture is not used before this scripture. The very first time the word love is used ever in the scripture is in relationship to how much the father loved. Now, what does that mean? So he says this, take your son, Et Bencha, the Aleph Taf son, your only son, Et Yechidcha. Yechid is the word used there. Now, you may be familiar with the word Yachad, you know, Psalm 133. Yachad, what does Yachad mean, right? Together, you know, only and unity, you're only, right? So here, this word that's used here means this. It's unique, individual, your only unique son. Whom you love, Yitzhak. So it couldn't be his other son. And Yitzhak was set apart as the only unique. This is also, by the way, a reference that was used. So what happens? So he's to take him, and he's to take him to the land of Moriah. And he says he will show him where he is to bring him and bind him. Verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes, and he saw the place in the distance. There's a lot to be said about this third day thing, isn't Yeshua, death, burial, and resurrected, how long? Three days on the third day. Sign of Jonah, how many days? Three days, third day, right? Scripture tells us many places in there. It says, uh, like Hoshea 6, 1 and 3, Come, let us return to Adonai, for he has torn and he will heal us. He has struck and he will bind our wounds. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise and we will live in his presence. That means that we were struck, that we were dead and the third day, he will raise us up and revive us, resurrect us, and we will live in his presence. So let us know. Let us strive to know, Adonai, that he will come as, as certain as the morning, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rains that water the earth. If you live in Florida, you know it still rains. So he says this, go to the land of Moriah. Kind of interesting phrasing because it's, it reminds us back when, uh, to, uh, when he called Abraham, back to Genesis 12. He says, lech lecha, Right? Like, like ah, I want you, I'm calling you out. Go for yourself to a land that I'm not telling you. I'll show you when you get there. It's kind of back to similar. So in this idea of, of Yahweh calling Abraham with his son, it, he, I'm sure he's going back to thinking of, of when Yah first called him to come out. Okay, so like, go, and I'm going to go to a land, and we, I'll let you know when you get there. <laughs> I'll show it to you once you see it. And the same things is going on with Yitzhak. So you're going to go to the land of Moriah, and then I'm going to show you where you are to go when you get there, okay? So again, he's calling him out, and he's calling him to obedience so that he can work what he desires to do. So go to the land of Moriah. What happens in Moriah will become Hoya, a teaching for all through Abraham. Same play on words, guys. Same play on the roots. What we're looking at here is the lives of those who went before us, we're told in the Scripture, were given as an example for and so what happens here at Moriah, Yahweh wants us to pay attention to. Because I think this, this is, yes, an important aspect about the obedience of Abraham, the binding of Yitzhak, but I think this is also something relating prophetically for us. So he goes here, and he goes to the land of Moriah, and it's, it was interesting, guys, when we were 
the uh, was it? Hang on, was it the last time we were there? And you go from where Abraham was and going towards the land of Moria. There's not too many routes that you can take. Okay, there's only like sometimes it's only like one way you can go. There's no other way to get there. So if you're going where he was and you're going where he was going, as you're going up this area and then you go to the place of Moria, which by the way, where is the region of Moria? Jerusalem. So as you go and you're, you're approaching the land of Moriah, you're going to Jerusalem. What did God show him? What did he see? As he goes to Moriah, what would he see? How would he know that Yahweh would provide? How would he know that this is where he was to lay down Itzhak, where, where Yahweh was telling him to do this? This is what roughly, you know, as he would see, he's coming. As you look from, you know, from the bottom of the screen, you're going up. What would you see? This is Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, you see the, the, um, the, the ridges around it. Guess what? It forms a letter. A letter of shame. How did Yahweh reveal himself to Abraham? I am El Shaddai. So he says, I am Shaddai. I'm, I am the Almighty One. I'm the one that's going to make my way known for you. I'm the one that's going to provide for you. I am the Almighty. I will give you what you need. All I'm asking for you is to lech lecha. Go and be obedient. So how would he know this is where he was to go? When he goes and he stands up there and he's walking towards Jerusalem and he sees Shaddai there. On, right there it is. That's where we're going. A place where God placed his name. So what happened? This is what is called the Akeda. The Akeda. The Akeda is, is to bind. Okay, Genesis 22.9. They came to the place God had told them about and Abraham built the altar there. The Aleph Taf Mizbeach. He built an Aleph Taf altar there. And there he set the Aleph Taf wood in order and he bound Yitzhak, bound Aleph Taf Yitzhak, his son, and laid him on the altar on the wood. Is this kind of flashing any kind of imagery to you about something else that we may know? You're starting to see shadows of Yeshua here? That's the idea. This is all prophetic. And again, all of this reminded because of the ram's horn, right? Now, this is another shadow of Messiah here. This is the things we're going to looking at. This is the Akkad. The word Akkad is only used once in the Tanakh, guys. Only used once. And only in relationship to the binding of it. And the story, Akkad, means marks. It's like the marks that are left on the body after you bind it for sacrifice. So the story of the Akeda, the binding of Isaac, it's more about the marks that were left on his body after, after. And how this is, Yitzhak is a foreshadow of Yeshua. I've got a lot of scripture here for you in this. Yitzhak is a Yeshua. And continuing in the story. And if, when you read it this way, it continues to reveal and open up some information. I've got a lot of scripture on here for you guys that are here today. I do have some copies of this down here, so you're not going to have to frantically write, okay? But if you want to take a picture of it, please do so. That way you still have that. And, um, but I do have all these scriptures here for you. Like I said, I'm going to go through these really quick. First off, both Yitzhak and Yeshua, they were both promised sons. And I do have uh, the scripture reference for Yitzhak and the scripture for Yeshua. Both went through them. I'm not reading them right here today. Uh, that was uh, Genesis where are we at? Genesis 18.10 and Isaiah 7.14. Both were called the only begotten son. In Genesis 22.2 and John 3.16. Both were the beloved of their fathers. In Genesis 22.2 and John 5.20. Both were announced beforehand by God to their mothers, and both mothers questioned it. <laughs> Genesis 18.12 and Luke 1.34. Both were born miraculously. Genesis 18.1 and Matthew 1.18. Both were born at the appointed time. Genesis 21.2 and Galatians 4.4. Both were given their names before they were born, Genesis 17, 19, and Matthew 1, 21. Both were obedient unto death, Genesis 22, 9, and Philippians 2, 8. 
Bo took a donkey to the place of sacrifice, Genesis 22.3 and Matthew 21.2-11. Two men went with them, Genesis 22.3 and Mark 15.27, Luke 23.32 and 33. There was a three-day journey and three days in the grave, Genesis 22.4 and Luke 24.13-23. The son carried the wood on his back up the hill, Genesis 22.6 and John 19.17. God will provide for himself the lamb, Genesis 22.8 and John 1.29. The son was offered on the wood that was carried, Genesis 22.9 and Luke 23.33. The ram that was provided was entangled in the thorns, Genesis 22.13 and John 19.2. The lamb's blood was shed on the mount, as the blood of Yeshua was shed on the mount, Genesis 22.8 and John 19.30. The knife with Avraham, the sword with the Roman soldier, Genesis 22.10, John 19.34. The seed was promised to be multiplied, Genesis 22.17 and John 1.12 and Isaiah 53.10. Avraham came down from the, ma- from the mountain, and Yitzhak is not mentioned as coming down from the mountain. In other words, that's where it's kind of like the story ceased there for him for a while. I'll explain that in a minute. Genesis 22.19 and Luke 23.46. Both were made alive from what was dead, Romans 4.19 and Revelation 1.18. Yitzhak rose from the altar as, like Yeshua, rose from the grave, Genesis 22.13 and Luke 23.46. Both were heirs of all things given from their father, Genesis 25.5 and Hebrews 1.2. Both were presented with a bride that they loved, Genesis 24.4 and Ephesians 5.25. The servant gets the bride for the son, the servant's representation of the Ruach, uh, Genesis 24.1-4, Ephesians 5.22-32 and Revelation 21.2 and 9. Bride was a beautiful virgin, Genesis 24, 16, and 2 Corinthians eleven two, And the servant offered gifts to the bride, Genesis 24, 10, and 1 Corinthians 12. So I want to make a, another point here that I didn't write in here. But when Yitzhak was at the mountain, it says Abraham came back down. Well, you don't read about Yitzhak anymore in that story for a while. Okay? So he kind of like disappears from the narrative. And what happens is then Abraham talks to his helper, Eliezer, which means God is help, God is helper. And so he talks to his helper to go and get the bride for my son and bring the bride back to my son. We see all this stuff happening. And then we see, are you, are, are you going to go to meet the son? Are you going to be a bride for him? Sight unseen. Yes, I will go. I will be his bride. And we don't see Itzhak again until the helper brings the bride presents her to the son and says, Yitzhak, this is your bride. And the bride, it's kind of funny, the story, because he goes there, and, 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 and as they're approaching, she says, who's that? Out of all this journey, all this time, she's like, who's that? That's your husband. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Read the story, okay? I'm not exaggerating. It's in the story. And then, there, and then we have the picture of the bride and the son coming together and loving one another. All pictures, all things that are. So back to the theme of the, the shofar, back to the theme of the trumpets. Understand this. The sound of the trumpet, the sound of the shofar, heralds the coming of our king. It heralds the announcing our king is coming. Now, there's a thing. We have the trumpets, and then we have the shofars. So what's the deal with the trumpets? The two silver trumpets we have in Numbers 10, 1 and 2. 
And when I spoke to Moshe, saying, Make two trumpets, hammered silver for yourself. They are for summoning the community and having the camps set out. There were certain sounds that needed to be made at certain times. When the sounds were made, it, it made a declaration of what the people were to do when. Okay, so the people had to discern, listen to me, the people had to discern the sounds that they were hearing to determine what their response was to. Much like today, we have to discern the voices that we are hearing to determine what our act. The sound that a trumpet makes is called a voice, especially in Scripture. So we hear the sound, we hear the voice, now what do we do with it? And make sure it's the... So Numbers 10, 9 and 10. He says, uh, whenever you go to war in your own land against your enemy who is hostile to you, you are to sound the short blast of alarm, and you will be remembered before Adonai, your God, and be delivered from your enemy. See that? Sound, sound the alarm, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God. Did he forget you? No. What does that word remember mean again? To act on behalf of. So as you go to war, you sound the alarm, then he says he will go before you and act on behalf of you. In other words, he fights for you. Okay. And also... Um, Verse 10, also at your days of rejoicing, at your feasts, and at your new moons, Rosh Kodesh, you are to blow on the trumpets of your burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings. They will then be a reminder for, for you before Adonai your God, I am Adonai your God. So we have the sound the trumpet makes. It's a voice like a trumpet. The voices, it's your voice rising up to sound the alarm, as well as the voice of the trumpet sounding as well. Isaiah 58 one says, cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet that's to sound the alarm to get people's attention okay isaiah 40 verse 3 says a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of yahweh make straight in the desert the highway to our god john 1 he said i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord as the prophet yeshiah said right speaking of john the baptist right okay so yom teruah is a day of shofars a day of sounding the alarm and a day of shouting because like i said it's not a day to be quiet a day to rejoice Okay, Zephaniah 1, 15 and 16 says a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. Understand, when Yahweh goes before you and fights for you, that means there is a battle, but he, he crushes you. Okay, Joel 2, 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of Yahweh is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, uh, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, and a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will there be after them throughout the years and all generations. Now, as well as the day of, of shouting, the alarm, the shofar, and the people here, what else does it do? It signals a return. It calls all the exiles back in. In other words, it's telling everyone to go home. Now, different times, different seasons. I know era anymore, but when I was a kid, we would go out and we'd play all day. And many of you as well, what would happen when it started to get a little dark? Parents would flick the light. How many of you? Your parents would flicker the light. And when you saw that, guess what that meant? It's time to go home. You better, right? <laughs> <laughs> you better, because if you waited too long, <laughs> see, you voluntarily go or you're brought. When the shofar sounds, it is to call us to come back. You don't want someone to come get you, <laughs> okay? Faith's dad, they, they had a lot of property in some wooded area back out there where they lived, and when the time came that he wanted all his kids to come back in, okay, that's enough, come back in, 
he would he would lean out the door and he he war hoop man he just this battle cry he just i can't even try attempt it i'm telling yeah like a tarzan kind of thing and he could be heard for miles he sounded the alarm and they would come back the shofar is the same thing for us guys it's to sound the alarm to tell us get ready the lord's going to meet with you and he's calling us to come back home look isaiah 27 12 and 12 and 13 says this in that day from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, Yahweh will thresh out the grain, and you will be gleaned one by one, people of Israel. And in that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship Yahweh in a holy mountain at Jerusalem. Those who were lost, those who were gone, those, they're going to come back, and they're going to come to Jerusalem, the city of Isaiah 18.3. All you inhabitants of the world, all you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look, and when the trumpet is blown here, what is that signal that is raised on the mountains? That word ness, the word the signal that is there on the mountains, it is Yeshua that was lifted up. It is him that was raised up on the mountains. And when all look to him, he's calling all to come back to him. And then there's a day when the shofar will be blown by him. And he's calling all to come. And even this, gathering the exiles, Matthew 15, 24, Yeshua says, I was sent to whom? Sheep of the house of Israel. When he sent his Talmudim out, where did they go? Matthew 10, 6, and 7. But go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's calling the exiles back. In John 11, we read uh, verses 49 to 52. Uh, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand it is better for you that one man should die for the people, that not the whole nation should perish. And he did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Yeshua would die for the nation, but look at verse, not for that nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. To gather all together, no matter where they are in the world, to bring them back. Calling back. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry. That word cry relates to the word ruah. So with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead and Messiah will rise first. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I kept watching the night visions when I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, someone like the Son of Man. He approached in the Ancient One and was led into his presence. To him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom so that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His rulership is an eternal rulership that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not. Look at Daniel 12, 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been and such there uh, has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That's judgment. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's resurrection. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Zechariah 9, 13 to 15. For I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. And I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, who wield like a warrior's sword. Then Yahweh will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. And Yahweh Zavaot will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl drenched like the corners of the altar. So many things we can look at, guys. Where is the resurrection in the Scripture? Well, here's just one place we just looked at, right? Where is the saying that, that, that He is coming back? We just read it. 
We're looking for a king to return. We're looking for a king to come back, right? We're looking for him to set up his, his rulership for eternity. What about some other things? Again, talking about uh, uh, many of traditional sources, there's a, a collection of, of stories called Pirkei Mashiach. Pirkei Mashiach is a collection of traditional legends surrounding the events and personalities associated with the end of days and the final vindication of Israel. Many of these were penned around the 7th century. So we're talking, you know, it's been a while. So how long has these these thoughts been around? Yeah, it's been a while. So in Pirkei Mashiach, we read, the Messiah is crowned in conjunction. And also there's an order to those who passed before. It is read, Ephraim, Messiah ben Joseph, the slain Messiah is alive once again followed by the resurrection of Adam, then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, each in their respective order. Lastly, the second Adam is seen in between the lines of this passage as the descendant of Adam and the Messiah who triumphs to restore men. Where do we read about Yeshua coming back? Where do we read about the resurrection of the dead? How long has this thought been around? It's in the scripture and it's been a thought. For Where is our role in it? Well, first off, here the show. our lives. Look, Matthew 24, 29, 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth, all the what? Just saying, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And they will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one into the heavens to the other. In Ezekiel 33, we read, verse 1, The word of Yahweh came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Verse five, he heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. So what is our response? When we hear the sound of the trumpet, it's calling us to do something. It's calling us to change your life. Get ready. The king is coming. Prepare the way. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any of them, the person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So what are some things with the shofar sound? One, it's called to awaken the people, like we read the ten virgins, right? They were all asleep. And the sound, get, get ready, the, 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 the cry came forward, he's coming, get ready. So it's to awaken, to arise, and a call to gather, a call to come back in. What are some of the meanings for sounding the shofar? There are 10 symbolic meanings for sounding the shofar. Get a lot of information. 10 symbolic meanings for sounding the shofar, and we're going to pay a special attention to the last. One, the day marks creation's beginning. Thereon God created the world and became its sovereign at the beginning of the reign. It is customary to sound trumpets before the newly crowned king and to proclaim his ascent to sovereignty throughout the realm. Similarly, do we accept the creator's sovereignty upon ourselves? We agree with that? Two, Rosh Hashanah, also called uh, Yom Teruah, is the first of the ten days of repentance. And the shofar is sounded thereon to proclaim and to warn. Whoever wishes to repent, let him repent. And if not, let him have remorse later. This is the way of kings. First, they forewarn the people throughout decrees, and whoever transgresses uh, has no complaint. In other words, you do about it, you can't complain later, right? Three, to remind us of the stand at Mount Sinai, of which it was said, and the sound of the shofar was exceedingly strong, so that we might accept upon ourselves what our fathers accepted when they said, we will do and we will hear. Four, to remind us of the words of the prophets, which were compared to the sounding of a shofar. 
Whoever hears the sound of the shofar, the call of the prophets, and takes no warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. Right? I'm in, I'm in the verse thing, vein. Number five, to remind us of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, the sanctuary of Jerusalem, and the trumpet blasting of the enemy attack. When we hear the shofar sound, we are to pray to God for the rebuilding of his holy place, his sanctuary. Six, to remind us through the sounding of a ram's horn and the binding of Yitzhak, who offered his life to God as, and of the ram slaughtered in his place. Likewise, are we to offer our lives for the sanctification of his name? so that our remembrance may ascend before him for good. When we hear the sound of the shofar, we are to feel fear and trembling and are to humble ourselves before the Creator. This is an effect, the effect of the shofar, that it arouses fright and trembling as it is written, if a shofar is sounded in the city, shall the people not tremble? Number eight, to recall in fear the forthcoming great day of judgment. As it is said, near is the, is the great day of the Lord, near and exceedingly soon is the day of the shofar and shouting. Number nine, to recall our faith in the future in gathering of Israel's dispersed and to awaken our yearning for it, as it is said, and it shall be on that day, a great shofar will be sounded, and those who have perished in the land of Assyria and those who were dispersed in the land of Egypt will come. And ten, to recall our faith in a future resurrection of the dead, as it is said, you inhabitants of the world and you who dwell in the earth. When the ensign is lifted on the mountain, you shall see, and when the shofar is sounded, you shall All of these things, see? What is that last one? Coming to meet our king. Get ready. The king is coming. Ninth century Jewish scholar wrote, again, 10 reasons why the shofar is blown, which we just read. The 10th reason has to do with the resurrection. The 10th reason is to remind us of a revival of the dead, that we may believe in it, as it is said, all inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth. The incident is lifted. Ephesians 5, 14 to 17. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and the Christ will shine on you. Is that in line with what we've read so far? Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last shofar, for the shofar will sound, and the dead, and, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Herman Strack wrote in the commentary of the New Testament this, How will God revive the dead in the future world? God will take a great trumpet in his hand, a thousand cubits long according to the cubit of God, and he will blow into it, and its sound will go from one end of the world to, to the other. At the first trumpet blast, the whole earth will quake. At the second trumpet blast, the dust will separate from the earth and, and the earth surrounding it. And at the third trumpet blast, their bones will be gathered. At the fourth trumpet blast, their limbs will grow warm. And at the fifth trumpet blast, skin will be drawn over them. At the sixth trumpet blast, the, the spirits and the souls will enter their bodies. And at the seventh trumpet blast, they will become living and stand on their feet in their clothes. And it says, Lord Yahweh will blow into the trumpet. Yahweh Sava'ot will shield them, according to Zechariah 9.14. Does that line up with Ezekiel? And when all will be called and all Israel will be Hear the call. Prepare the way. Are we preparing for a kingdom come or are we preparing for a kingdom here? Look, for a kingdom come, we receive many places in Scripture that talks about a kingdom come. For kingdom come, we read, you know, again, like your kingdom come, Luke, uh, Luke 11, uh, 2. And again, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Uh, many will say to me on that day, right? This Matthew 7, 21 and 23. We talk about the show he says that the last cup I won't drink until the day I drink anew in the kingdom of God in Mark 14, 25. And in the kingdom of God and judgment to come, we see in Matthew 5, 19 and 20, Matthew 8, 11 and 12, Matthew 25, 31, Luke 13, 22. All of these in here, we're talking about a kingdom that is to come. But with as many scriptures as we see about a kingdom to come, we see about a kingdom that is here. 
In other passages, it's clear the kingdom of God is present. It says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Luke eleven twenty, Matthew twelve twenty eight. It says the kingdom has come, has arrived. It is now present in Romans nine thirty one, Second Colossians, Second Corinthians ten fourteen, Philippians three sixteen, First Thessalonians two sixteen. And we talk about the kingdom of God is now in the presence. Luke seventeen twenty. We're looking for a kingdom eternal that is to come, but we're looking for manifestation of His kingdom now. And so we're seeing the heart of you know. We pray you know, let your kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. There is an eternal kingdom to come, but Yahweh has his kingdom here where to live in right now. And that's what he's called us to work in. Just a couple more things will be done. So which side do we emphasize? See, many times we, we, live, we live our life, you know, we're just waiting for the world to come. You know, the eternal. We're waiting for the kingdom to come. Someday, you know, when we die and we're all done here, then we'll be okay, you know, in the kingdom forever. But what? So your, the answer is you have to be miserable until then. You know, when we, when we approach Yahweh, so much, sometimes we have too much focus on looking to just what will be. And then we have the other side of it as well. Many times we just look back and have the focus on what was. You know, either what God did or what was or look at our life the way it used to be. You know, all these things. So we, many times we look forward to what will be or look back to what was, not understanding He is the God of who is. He was, who is. I am Yahweh. I change not. Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are things that he's called us to do for eternity. And there's things he's brought us from in the back, but there's things that he wants us to do today. It's not like we're just looking for something to do some, somewhere down the road. We're looking to fulfill his kingdom. The kingdom is within you. That doesn't mean there isn't a kingdom forever, but he says the kingdom is in you. If his word is in you, if his life is in you, if he is in you, then his kingdom is show. That's what we're looking at. One side, an emphasis on the already now, which emphasizes miracles, healings, victory over sin, and uh, gifts God has given his church and ignores the not yet may lead to disillusion. Yeshua said tribulation is ahead. I have scriptures here, you know, Mark 13, 21. A symbol of discipleship Yeshua gave his disciples is that of bearing a cross. The crown awaits by faith. We still long for, for the perishable to become clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality is like 1 Corinthians 15, 53. But in the meantime, we are called to endure to the end. So which do we emphasize? Oh, good, both. The emphasis on one day to come could lead to despair and a neglect of the joy and the victory. You know, it says the gates of Hades will not overcome because the kingdom has come. We can be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing. That's what he's called. We live for the time that is yet to be, but we live for the time that is yet to be, bringing it here and now, showing the heart of the Father here. So these times, these seasons, the things the Father has given us, it's a time to hear the call, hear the voice, get ready. The King is coming to you. And when He comes to you, He's revealing Himself to you, His heart to you, His ways to you, bringing you into a place of covenant and holding you dear to His heart and equipping you for what lies ahead where you can dwell with. Like Yom Teruah, it's a time to rejoice. It's a time to hear the call. It's a time to hear His voice. It's a time to make proclamations. It's a time to say, this is a time of change. This is a time of, of, of changing how I view things, how I focus things, how I live. It's a time of change. And it's a time to remember and act on He has called you to a purpose. So many people today are looking, what's my purpose? To serve the one true God. To love Him with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. To honor Him in your life. That is your purpose. And if you do that, that's, a, that's more than enough to keep. Psalm 98.6 says, With the trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn, do what? Make a joyful noise before the king. Psalm 89.15, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They shall walk Yahweh in the light of your countenance. This is blessed are the people who know. The word is teruah. 
Blessed are the people who know the teruah of Yahweh. They will walk. When we're listening for that teruah, we're listening for his voice, we're listening for that trumpet sound, blessed are those people seeking to hear the voice of Joel 2.1. Blow the shofar on Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord tremble. For the day of Yahweh comes. It is close. Amen.